the homework stuff that I give you, some of you are going to roll your eyes. Yeah, yeah, screw it, whatever. Not going to bother. That's your choice. The people that do the homework, they get it. They see it. They get very, very comfortable. When I wrote the, my notes for this, there, I, when I did the class, I first started doing it, the, I think the first one I had was four. And then the first time I rented a hotel room, there were eight. There were two people in there that I remember. One guy comes back all the time. One girl comes back occasionally. But they sat there the very same time. And she kind of rolled her eyes at this, didn't really take it serious. He rolled his eyes at it for a year. Didn't do anything. And then I ran into him somewhere, and I guess something got, I must have said something got under his skin, but he came back. And he sat through it, and he just did the work. He's ready to retire. She's still fucking around with it. Three, four years. He could leave now. But he does the work. He laughs at it now. He's see him in here today. Usually he's here. But he laughs because he loves coming in to listen to the comments, the questions that people ask. Because one, you know, he can mouth the answer, so it, it confirms with him that he knows it. But two, he loves seeing it because he loves to hear how people think and the excuses that people come up with. And then he uses that to measure himself to see, am I doing that? So it's an awesome way to kind of do a checkpoint. But he'll laugh at the questions like, wow, how come these guys don't want it? It's so easy. I don't know. It's human nature. But it's fascinating to me, you had two people sitting next to each other, heard the same info, chose to react however they did. One of them can now do what he wants to do, and the other one's still doing the eight to five, complaining about it. Same number of years for both of them, same info. They sat next to each other. It's up to you. What's also interesting on this, the, I can tell by your trading results. Let me rephrase that. You can tell by your trading results how you're doing. I can tell by your questions. It's really obvious. And I'm not going to, you know, I have people that have been here a little bit, you know, I have a little fun just because it gets a little boring saying the same stuff. So I'm a little sometimes barbed in my commentary. I don't ever mean to put anyone down. It just kind of makes it amusing. But it's very easy to tell who's doing the work just by the questions you ask. And if you, you know, want to wait for a while and do the work, I'm totally fine with that. Once you start doing the work, the questions that you'll ask change because you'll see stuff. It's so obvious. And if you're doing the work, and then you come back and you listen to the questions, even you can tell who's doing the work. You can tell how far along somebody is by the questions they ask. It's so easy, which really says you just got to do the work. There's no secret to this. It's not, it's not hard. It's just about doing it. Uh, what's the last thing I want to say? Should I get off my rant? You want me to rant some more? There's a bunch, let me just rant a little bit more. There's a, there's a bunch of homework given in the course. I don't put it in there because I'm a masochist. I want to see you waste your time. I put it in there because I know if you do it, it'll help you. It's as simple as that. Right? I give you as much as I can, but you still got to grab the oars and row. If you'll do that, you'll love this stuff. If you don't, you'll always wonder. Totally up to you. The easy way, just do as you're told. It's laid out for you. Just follow the path. You don't have to do anything more. It's not tough at all. Need a break? All right, questions. Tina, what'd you ask me? That's right. So her question was on profit-taking. You said, hey, in the monthly his, that monthly historical guide thing, you talked about profit-taking. What does that really mean? Think of it this way. If the stock has been running up, so we've been going up, 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 and for whatever reason, remember, we're all sheep. We're all lemmings. We all do the same thing. We all react to something as the, as the stock market public. So we see stock running up, 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 and for whatever reason, people start selling. If you own stock and the market's running up and you want to cash out, what do you do? You sell. When you get a lot of selling pressure, what happens to price? It drops. And so you'll see price start to drop. So that's profit taking. On the other side of it, price is going down, 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 down. 
And now, and you want, and so you've made money either on your puts or on short sale, right? So puts are just a reaction to what stock price is doing. So if you've made money shorting, how do you close out a short? You have to buy to cover, so you have to buy stock. What happens when you have buying pressure? Price goes up. So profit taking will cause price to rise after a short, after a uh, decline. Make sense? Stephen, what'd you ask me? So what he asked was, hey, so I'm a little confused on this whole, you talk about making a buck on the stock movement. How do these guys make 30, 40, 50, 60% if they're just getting out at a buck? And the answer is they don't. What you want to think of starting out, and again, don't, remember I said this before, do not worry about options early on. You're just trying to capture stock movement. Identify the stock's going to move a buck, buck and a half, whatever it is. Take the gain, be done. Once you can do that comfortably, confidently, consistently, then what you can do, now you can start looking at options. And now you look at options and say, okay, now I'm capturing the lever aspect on this. So now you're leveraging the move. With that as well, once you start off on stock and you see the movement on stock and you say, okay, now I'm going to trade an option. Trading with stock, your objective, you get in, you make your dollar, dollar fifty. If you can do that with consistently long batting, long wind streaks, very high batting averages, what is that? And remember, the exit is how much again? A buck, buck and a half, something like that. Do you have to worry about the, you don't have, there's no intelligence there. Sorry, that's not the right way to say it. There's no thinking that's required for that. You get in at 100, you get out at 101.50. You don't have to think about it. It's math. At a dollar fifty of the price, it's taken care of for you. There's no, there's none of your brain power that's required to figure that out, right? Once you can do that consistently, what does that prove to you? It doesn't prove to you you know how to spot an exit. It proves to you you know how to spot an entry. Because remember that there's a couple things. To this what stock to choose, when to buy, when to sell, when to sell we took care of, took it out of your hands. So now it's about when to buy, and if you can be consistent with your gain consistent with your win streak, con- sorry, Jesus, I'm having a hard time. I shouldn't have eaten that cookie. If, you, if you're being consistent in being able to identify the stock to move a buck 50, that tells you, not me, it tells you, you can spot an entry. Once you can spot an entry, now what we're going to do is let's see if you can spot an exit. And so now what we're going to do, now we're going to push that exit to be more than a buck and a half. And that's where you look to get out when you hit a moving average, a Bollinger Band, or something like that. But don't worry about that until you've gotten the point where you're consistent at making a buck, a bucking out. Do that again and again and again and again. Because if you add the complexity of where's my exit, you've just added one more layer to the complexity level. You don't want to do that. Make sense? You give me this look like, eh, just keep it simple. No problem. All right. Other questions come up on the break? Lovely. All right. Catalysts for movement. There are a number of catalysts for movement that are out there. I think I'm on page 159. So price movement is based on demand for the stock. Demand is going to change based on any one of the following things. Some of them are unexpected events. Some of them are planned events or known. The first one that can come up is a comment by an analyst. So some analysts may come out and say, for whatever reason, I like or don't like IBM, or I like or don't like this industry. If that person has reputation, street cred, street credibility, the market could react to that person's comments. 
The market may ignore that person's comments. You'll find in your, if you've been doing the news work, you may find that if Jane Doe, analyst for ABC brokerage company, comes out and says something about some tech firm, the market will react when she speaks, either to the good or to the bad. And then you get Joe Blow from a different firm. And he says something, and the market doesn't budge. And all that means is the market puts more credibility either with Jane or with her company. The way you'll find that out is over time when Jane leaves that company and goes to work somewhere else. If now when she makes a comment, does the market move? Is it a result of her? Or is it because she had the company name behind her? And so that you'll just figure that out over time. There's no, there's no easy way to figure that one out. So an analyst comment can, have, can be a catalyst for movement. And they don't pre-announce when they're going to make a comment. So you either get hit with that on news, or you will get hit with that on news if that's going to happen. The other thing, there's some kind of market news. And what I mean by this, this is longer lasting news. It's going to last for weeks to months, not hours to days. So this could be like, I don't know, the Iraq war. If you hear of, you know, Iran and Israel always rattle their sabers on each other. So if you hear of things like that, you'll see the market will react not for hours, but for days. If it turns into something, it'll last for months. Then there's mergers and acquisitions. Those also are unexpected events. M&A. What you'll see is you'll have a, what's the right word? You have a victim and you have a suitor. The chaser and the chasee, the predator, the prey, whatever you want to call it. So if, I, if ABC stock is going to acquire some victim stock, and victim, that's too negative, but you understand the, the one being purchased. Yeah, so Allergan is one that's going on now. So if you look at that, so I'm going to use Allergan, but I'll use a different example. So acquisition, let me think, target company, not target the retailer, but a target company. Some company is looking to acquire a target company to expand their portfolio, whatever the reason is, doesn't matter. The stock's trading at 50 bucks a share. <clears throat> what they do is they've been looking at this for a while. The board of directors has these quiet meetings. They hire an investment bank to go out and do the due diligence. What's it worth? What are the growth prospects? What are the pro cons? Blah, 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 blah. As you get into the final weekend of this, the investment bankers will go nuts, crazy, running spreadsheets with all types of guesses and speculations on what this thing could do and what it could be worth. They will make an offer to the company being acquired. We'd like to buy your shares for 53 bucks a share, or let's say it's 60 bucks a share. So 10 bucks over 50, so they're raising it 20% over current market value. The market hears this, usually they hear CNBC talking about it at six in the morning, our time. So there's been a tender offer made for the outstanding shares of this target company. The pre-market price is about $59.80, and their bid was $60 a share. So the stock will be trading a few cents below what the offer price is on the, the bid by the acquiring company. Stock market will gap up $10, and it'll sit right about there. And it'll be trading at about $59.50, $59.75, somewhere in that range, just a little bit under that $60 offer that they made. The company that's doing the buying, their stock more often than not, will drop, okay? They'll often, you'll often see that stock price drop. Now, what will happen is, if, the, if there's a competitor that would, let me say this, if there's a company that would prefer that they own that victim or target company rather than their competitor, they'll make a competing offer. And you'll see that usually within a few days, maybe a week or two. 
And so they make, another company may come out and bid 60, pick a number, 63. Now, sometimes what will happen is, as you're watching the stock price, if the bid was at 60 bucks, if you see the market trading just under 60, the perception on the street is there's, there won't be a competing offer. If you see the price going north of 60, the expectation that somebody else is going to come in and bid more, or they're kind of hoping that may happen. Should you trade that? Not only no, but hell no. Don't go near it, especially when it's above that, because you don't know if the other company is going to bid or not. If they do, awesome, you might make a couple of bucks. If they don't, you're going to get clobbered. It's not worth it. But practice it on paper in your news trades and see what happens. And watch how often you get clobbered, and then you'll learn. I can assure you from firsthand experience, don't do it with real money. It's not worth it. Okay, so that's mergers and acquisitions. Most, not most, you'll, you'll hear the term merger Mondays. Most of the mergers and acquisitions get announced on Monday morning. So if you want for tomorrow morning, turn on the news and see if there's anything going on. If there's something going on, it usually be announced first thing in the morning on CNBC. Oddly enough, if you watch this stuff, when the market is in the doldrums, when we were down at the depths of the financial debacle back in 08 and early 09, there were almost no mergers. Interesting, when stock prices are incredibly low, companies don't want to buy them. But now that the market's inflated and stuff potentially is overpriced, now we're willing to go buy more companies that are overpriced and inflated. Very interesting how it works. Now, some of that is done because they're using shares to buy that, so there's more value there. However, they're paying more for the victim or target company than had they bought it when the prices were deflated and down low. See that all the time. Another unexpected event you can see is a stock buyback. <clears throat> an example on this, let's say IBM's trading at 200 bucks a share. They come out and make an announcement. Oftentimes it occurs when they make an earnings announcement, but it doesn't have to. But they'll make an announcement to say, we're going to allocate, make up a number, $3 billion towards a stock buyback. And the market will hear that. That doesn't mean that they're buying $3 billion worth of shares today. What they're saying is we've allocated this amount of money to potentially buy back our shares over the next X number of months, whatever they put in the announcement. That is not necessarily a trading event. It's a news event. Something to watch for, though, and it's not 100% consistent, but it's often enough out there to make note of it. When you hear of a buyback on a large company that is volatile, so don't do it on all the dog ones, but if you see it on a large one that's volatile on your watch list, Make a note on your chart. Maybe draw a vertical line or a horizontal line there and make a little note that says this was the price point when the IBM made their buyback announcement. Stock was at 200 bucks a share. Oftentimes what will happen is when they make the buyback announcement, the price will rise and it'll do its thing. And it's not a guarantee by any stretch, but it's not uncommon that when you see price come back down to that price point where it was when they said they're going to do the buyback, Sometimes it'll bounce there and lift, and it ends up being almost this a very weak floor. So it's something you can put on your charts. If you just draw a horizontal line down there, if it goes down there and touches it, don't buy. You still, need, you still need the proper entry to do that. But it might be, just like it would be for a moving average or a Bollinger Band, it might be a potential bounce point, just something to watch for. It's not as consistent as I would like it to be, but I mention it because it, it happens. But again, don't have that be your trading reason to do it. You've still got to have the charting reason to go.
question, do you see him more in the fall? I never thought about it that way. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I understand. I think I never thought about that. I don't know. I never even, have you read anything about that? I've never seen any kind of study on that. Oh, <laughs> well, let me know. I won't look at it. You let me know. Okay. Next one is upgrades and downgrades. So with upgrades and downgrades, a company, a, a brokerage or an analyst firm will come out and say, we're putting an upgrade on IBM because we think they're going to sell more stuff or sell it more profitably. Or they'll put a downgrade on it. We think they're going to sell less stuff or sell it less profitably. What you want to pay attention to is not so much what stock was upgraded or downgraded. It's who did the upgrade or downgrade because there are certain brokers or analysts that have more credibility and more credence is put on their words than others. And so if, you, if it's a trusted person in the market, that, may have, that can have a much bigger impact on stock price than it is just the stock. So something to watch out for. It also depends on if they're highly regarded in a specific stock or even an industry. So it could be that one person's opinion is very highly regarded on IBM but what they say about Dell, nobody pays any attention. And so you'll find that as, as you go through that as well. There will be some that are more highly regarded on a specific company than others. So you can't just you know, do a news filter and say, well, anytime that Jane Doe says something, I'm going to look to trade it. Because Jane Doe may only be respected for IBM versus another tech company. How do you learn this? That's called doing the news homework. And you figure that stuff out. There's a reason for all these things. Okay. Next piece, planned events, earnings, 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 earnings. Notice on earnings, there's three asterisks next to that. Why do you think that would be? Because it's important. Okay, If you've been doing the news homework, you've probably seen instances where a company beats earnings and their stock price rises. And then you'll see another instance where a company beats earnings and their stock price falls. The hell is that all about? How can that be? Well, then you'll have other examples where a stock, a company will miss earnings and their stock price rises. And another instance, a company will miss earnings and their stock prices fall. How the hell can that be? It's a mystery. What you're listening for on that is not just the earnings, it's the future guidance. So what a company will do, they'll come out and say, look, we're, we're IBM, we sold this many bazillions of dollars of stuff, and we made this many bazillions of dollars of profit spread out across this product line, that product line, the other. But man, it's not looking nearly as rosy going forward as we thought it was going to be. So while we may have made more money and sold more widgets than we expected to, it's not looking good for the next 90 days. The market will hear that and clobber the stock. Or the other side of it is they'll say, hey, we did very well, very profitable. We made more than we expected. We sold more than we expected. And it's looking even better next quarter. In fact, we told you last time that we thought we would make, you know, $10 bazillion. Now we think we're going to make $10.5 bazillion. We're getting better. And the stock market will hear that and the stock price will gap up. Okay? So all those pieces come in around earnings. Earnings are announced about, it's four times a year, about every 90 days. They're easily identified. You can go look them up. We're going to cover that a lot more. One thing you always do, I'll say it now so you can get it in your notes once and then it'll be in your notes multiple times. There are two key pieces you got to know about every stock. Just two. 
The first one is their ticker. Their name. You got to know the company name, but you got to know the ticker. So IBM, you can guess what that ticker is. Okay? If you don't know, just listen really carefully. It's pretty much a giveaway. The second thing you got to know, most important thing about a company, is their earnings date. You've got to know when they're going to announce earnings. The reason for that is, I'll say it here and we'll get repeated in class four, I don't hold true earnings. It's too much of a wild card. Why? Because I got tired of my ass getting kicked. Don't hold true earnings. So if you're in a trade, do not hold true earnings. Long-term holdings, I'm going to own forever. I'm okay. Do not hold a trade true earnings. Next piece, planned events. Retro question. You can see it. His comment was, you can watch an earnings announcement that happens after hours. They'll be in a conference call. You can tell the CFO is saying, we didn't do so good. Because you can watch on a five-minute chart, you can see the thing just cratering. And then you know they're going to talk about that. And then they get you know, the smart, good-looking guy coming on next. Go, yeah, but we're going to kick butt next quarter. And you can see the stock price rise in the after hours. You can see it on a five-minute chart. It's fascinating to watch. Do not hold to earnings. You'll see it that day. So what he's talking about is the intraday stuff. So you'll see, so if you could look at an after hours chart, you'll see this huge wick. You look at it and go, what the hell was that? That was news. That was somebody reacting. Bigger message, what, what do we do through earnings? Don't hold. <laughs> what about all the money I can make? I don't care. Don't hold. What about all the money I can lose? I don't want to hear about that. Don't hold. Do not hold to earnings. Next piece, planned events, economic news. Can be an economic report, jobs report, housing starts, producer price index, consumer confidence survey, blah, 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 blah. There's a book on the reading list called The Market Maker's Edge. Um, read through that. In there, he lists what he thinks are the most important economic reports. I think he nailed it. But read through it, see what you think. But you want to be aware of what economic reports are coming, potentially for the stocks that you may be in. For example, if you're going to buy a housing stock, excuse me, and a company may be releasing and housing starts are going to get a bit released tomorrow, eh, it might be something you want to be aware of. Okay, But remember, that's a news event. How are you doing on your news events? You're wrong about 70% of the time. So keep that in mind. Next thing is an IPO. IPO, initial public offering. Simple terms, don't touch it. Keep it simple. Do not touch them. So when Facebook came out a couple years ago, it came out at whatever it was, 30 bucks, something like that? When they came out? 70? Whatever the hell it was. It doesn't even matter. Don't touch it. What you want to do, easy way to do this. So you understand the size of the screen that I look at, not 20-inch monitors, but how much data I show on the screen. You can look in your book and you can see about how much is there. When you can fill up a chart with about three-quarters of that being candles, now you can trade on that chart, okay? So on Facebook, if they came out public on Monday, if you look at a daily chart on Tuesday, how many candles are on your chart? One. I want to see three-quarters of it filled. So what chart has three-quarters of it filled after the first day? That would be a five-minute chart. <laughs> so on Facebook on Tuesday, go to town, trade the five-minute all you want. Because now you have enough trading history to trade off a five-minute chart, which means you're going to be a trade for an hour. I don't ever want to trade a five That's a job. I don't want a job. So after Facebook has been trading for about a week, now I've got a 55-minute chart filled. Now I could look to maybe trade Facebook, which says I'm going to be, and that would have to be my trend chart would be a 55, which means I'm probably trading a five-minute chart. I ain't going to do that. 
Now Facebook has been trading for about nine months. Now I've got the daily chart populated. Now I can trade a 55. Why do you do it that way? Why do I do it that way? Because I want to know what the general public is thinking and doing, where they're willing to buy, where they're willing to sell on the stock. I want to have enough data to be able to make a rational, semi-intelligent decision. I can't do it with one day's worth of data on a daily chart. And people come back and say, oh, but you missed a huge opportunity to lose. I did miss a huge opportunity to buy. You're right. I don't care. I, don't, I want to limit my losses. There's 8,000 other stocks I can trade. If I miss one, it's not the end of the world. It removes the emotion from this if you do that. Easy way to do it. Okay? Last one, splits. Stock splits. We'll cover that a lot. Notice that one also has three asterisks. What do you think that means? It's important. So looking up there, which one of those, of all those catalysts, which ones are the most important? The ones that have the asterisks, which are splits and earnings. They're planned. They're known. They cause movement. You know well in advance when they're going to happen. Earnings happen how often again? Four times a year, every 90 days, and splits. So do you understand what a stock split is? A stock split, we'll cover this a lot in a little bit. Stock split says, hey, company, it's not always this way, but company's been doing well. Stock price rises, goes up and up and up and up and up. Board of directors gets together and say, wow, we are doing phenomenally well. Stock price is 150 bucks. Two years ago, it was at 50. I wonder if anybody would buy our stock when it's $150. That's way, pretty high price. Maybe what we should do is everybody that owns one share, let's give them three. Give them two additional ones. So what had been valued at 150 will now be valued at 50, but you'll have three for one shares. So if you had 100 shares at 150 bucks, what's that, 40, what's the math? 4,500 bucks? 100 shares at 150 bucks? How about if I gave you three for one? Now I'll give you 900 shares. So I'll give you an extra 600, but we'll drop the value to 50. So 900 shares times 50 is still $4,500. So the value of the company didn't change. But what happens to the public, the public hears that the stock price split. Oh my God, this is great. It's going to keep going and people will buy in and buy the stock and drive it up. It shouldn't happen that way, but it does. The wealthiest guy in the world is who? Who? Slim, right? It's between Slim, Buffett, and, and uh, Gates, right? They, they jockey back and forth. I don't think it is. I think, I think Buffett's got them all beat by many fold. It's actually Walton, if you really look at it. If you look at numbers, I think it's numbers five through nine on the Forbes list. They're all last name is Walton or married to somebody who was Walton. So when the guy from Walmart died, he split it out amongst four of his heirs, five of his heirs. You add them all up, they dwarf everybody else. So if Sam Walton were still alive, he'd be well over the, way beyond everybody else for Walmart. But so if you look at the other three, Gates, Carlos Slim, got his telephonos to Mexico, and what do you got? Buffett. Buffett's got Berkshire Hathaway. Shares trade about $175,000 a piece, something like that, whatever the price is. Okay, so if you want to buy one share, it's the low, low price of $175,000. You have the choice, you can buy a very high-end Benz or a share of Buffett or a third of a house in LA, your choice, okay? So now imagine this, if Buffett were to come out, Berkshire were to come out and say, hey, we're going to do a thousand to one split, get the stock price down to 175 bucks. So Joe Average, Joe Public could buy this thing. We all would clamor all over each other to be able to ride Buffett's coattail for the price of 175 bucks. The stock would easily double in a day. I have no question about that. That says Buffett's net worth would double 
overnight if you would do any size of a split. But he looks at it and says, I don't want my stock to be traded. I want somebody to buy it, hold it, and own it forever. So I understand his logic. But I understand if he were to go in there and split the shares to any get the price down to something reasonable that Joe, John Q. Public could afford, we'd all dogpile onto each other and drive the price up. It would skyrocket. So in my mind, Buffett's got everybody else beat by a long shot if he were to split. My two cents means absolutely nothing. It says, well, no, you know why he did the B shares? From what I understand, when they bought, it wasn't Burlington, they bought, a, they bought some company, the stock price of the A shares was too high. The shareholders that were in the company that they were buying, they couldn't do it. They couldn't translate. There was no way to equate that into the A shares for Buffett. So they made it a 10, or was it 10 to 1, I think, or whatever the 20 to 1, whatever the split is. And so that's why I did it that way, from what I understand. All right. Any questions on that, on the catalyst movement? Cool. Next piece, futures. Page, was that 160? So futures, I put this in because people ask about it. If you're intending to actively trade, then actively trade right at the market open. Seeing futures charts can be really helpful. If you're not intending to actively trade right at the market open, you don't need futures. It's as simple as that. When I say actively trade, I mean buy. Not sell, but buy. So if you're planning on buying right at the open, futures are very, very helpful. Hear me loud and clear. If you buy right at the open, you risk getting clobbered. Rape is the term I like to use, and I hate the word. It's very dangerous to buy right at the open. If you choose to venture down that dark alley, you're going to want to have futures available to you. Current price on it is about 30 a month. I say about because I have no clue because I don't pay for it. I don't use them. I don't trade right at the open. Let me explain futures really quick. It'll save me a bunch of emails saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Should I? What is it? Don't. But here's the explanation. It's easiest to compare them to an option. An option holder has the right to buy or sell stock, right? The asset at or before expiration. A futures holder is obligated to fulfill the terms of the contract. Some futures contracts require physical delivery of the asset. Others are settled in cash. So physical delivery, buy a futures contract of oil. You'll have to deliver a thousand barrels of oil, right? Probably not what you want, not something you keep in the garage. Stock market futures are settled in cash. When you're starting out, as I said before, don't trade early in the day. You're going to get clobbered. After you've practiced a bunch, a bunch, a lot, a ton. If you plan to trade early in the trading day, if you check the futures early on, you can tell how the market will open. Once the market's open, you don't need your futures charts anymore. You can look at either the diamonds, the DIA, the spiders, which is SPY, or the Qs, triple Q, to determine the market action. All that says, the futures will tell you what it's doing prior to the open or at just after the close. Once it's open, you can see what the market itself is doing. We look at the diamond spiders and cues. Explanation on futures. They're quoted in three-month contracts, March, June, September, and December. There's a root symbol and then the year and a month for the expiration. So the S&P is ES, the Dow is DJ, the NASDAQ is NQ or NZ. And then monthly codes, H for March, can I remember this, J, because here's how often I use it, M for June, U for September, Z for December. 
So if you're spending the 30 bucks a month with QCharts or whomever you're using, you'll want to know these root symbols to be able to look at futures. 99.9% .9 of you won't need this. But I put it out there, should you ever get that overwhelming urge to try, and then you'll stop. And you'll probably rip this page out of the man. Okay? If you're going to be trading at the market open, you check the 55 chart as well as the daily before it opens. And then during the day, you use the same time frame on the index as that is where your 3x. So if you're looking at a 233 chart set up, you want to know what the market is doing, look at the market 233 chart, whether it's the spiders, the diamonds, or the cues. Okay? Can I drop futures? Perfect. Now, where this comes in handy, in all seriousness, not so much with futures, but with the diamonds, the spiders, and the cues. Sometimes you'll be in a trade. You'll be in IBM. You bought it at 100 bucks, And you're saying, boy, my target on this thing, I expect it to get up to about 110, and I'll look to close it. Stock gets up to about 106, 107. Seems to kind of slow down its rise. And you look and think, I wonder why it's not rising anymore. I've still got a lot of white space above me. I want to get, you know, what I say, 110. I want the extra three, four bucks. If you look at the market charts, so why you want to look at these, you may see that the market chart has maybe a moving average or a Bollinger Band or something that is causing overhead resistance on the market chart. And if the market is hitting overhead resistance, a ceiling, guess what's going to happen to all the stocks? They too are going to hit some kind of ceiling. So even though it may not show up on the stock specific chart, because the market is hitting it, people that are watching that will look to sell into that, thinking that they're at the top. And so IBM won't make it up to that moving average that you thought. It just starts to roll over from whatever I said, 108, 107 on down. So it is important to keep an eye on the market chart. You do not need to pay for futures, however. Does that make sense? Okay. Do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor. Take two minutes. You guys are lo I'm losing a couple. I'm going to wake you up. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them what I just told you about futures. It'll be the only time you'll ever talk about it. I didn't say leave. I said, turn to your neighbor. That's all right. All right. We covered that. Started back up quick. Surprised y'all. It ran out. Didn't tell you to run out. All right. Who had a question? Suhail, you had a question? What was the... So his question is, which market chart between the diamonds, the spiders, and the cues, which one do you look at? Easy way to answer that is the first answer people come up with say, well, the stock that I'm trading or I got my 3X on is in the cues. So I'm going to look at the cues. Don't do that. Look at, use the market chart that matches the price movement of your stock. If it happens to be, if you're trading a stock that's in the NASDAQ and it looks like the NASDAQ chart, cool, use it. But sometimes what you'll find is that the stock will not be following its market chart. So if you're trading a stock that's in the S&P, you may find that it actually is tracking with the NASDAQ chart. So you wanna watch the NASDAQ chart even though this stock is in the S&P. It's an easy way to do that. In addition to, you'd asked about the sector chart. What you also want to do is watch the sectors. So if you're looking at it, if you're trading Exxon, for example, or Conoco, or I don't know, Cimarron, XEC, that's in the oil sector. You want to know what is the oil sector doing? If, the oil, if everything's running in the oil sector, your stock will probably get drug along with it. It might even be leading the sector. So you want to be aware of that as well. Is that all the chest? I think it was, right? Okay. Hey, Mark, you had a question before. Welcome. So you're talking about doing the buy, right? Or sorry, you're not talking about sell, but you're talking about buying. So it's... Tell me if I got the question right. So his question is, hey, you said don't trade at the open, which means don't buy at the open. When, when do I look to buy? How long do I have to wait? Is that what you're asking? So the question is, give it, you'll, when you start looking at these, you can look at it 
I don't urge you, don't get, don't get married to this. You can look at a five-minute chart. You know, open it, don't watch this thing all day long. It'll drive you nuts. But early on, if you want to watch a five-minute chart, you'll see the market jump around a lot in the first, and it depends on the stock, it depends on the day. But you might see it jump around for 20 minutes. You might see it jump around for 35, 45 minutes. So market's really going to depend on the stock and on the day. But once you see the five-minute chart start to settle down, then I would look to maybe make a buy. Does that help? No, it's, it, there's more of an art. But I certainly wouldn't look to buy in the first 10 or 15 minutes. Almost every day, it's still crazy then. And then it's going to depend on the day and depend on the stock. Because there'll be sometimes where the day seems kind of dead, but some stock is just still going crazy in the first 30 minutes. Let that die down and then look to buy in. Does that help? Cool. All right. So that was futures. Next piece. Now we're going to start looking at the art of the chart. So there's a charting component in everything that I do. There is an art to reading a chart. There's a lot of different things that you have to look at that you see. And it's difficult to describe it to people. I have a hell of a time. So it took a while to figure out how to write all this down for you all. Because there's so many things that are, that are in the story of a chart. You just look at these things over and over and over again. And then they start to jump out at you. Easiest way to think about this. I haven't, I don't think I, I haven't brought them in this time. There's a, just a side note, and then I'll, as I'm thinking about it, I've had some security issues in the class in the past. And so what I've done is I hire the security guard to come in, right? And when I first, he came up to me oh, a couple years ago and he said, you know, times are tough. I can't find a job. I said, well, you know, go look. Can I come work for you? I said, I'm a lousy employer and I don't pay really well, but what, what can you do for me? I said, well, what do you need? So I don't need anything. What can you do? I said, well, you talk about money, right? I said, yeah. And he said, and you deal with money? I said, yeah, a little bit. Can I be a security guard? I said, okay, we can do that. He said, cool, can I bring my gun? I thought, well, that probably freaked people out. We don't want to do that. That's not, and I said, well, I got handcuffs. Can I bring those? I said, so I can understand why you can't find a job. You just, you don't think right. And so... I was going to bring him today. I was going to ask him to work today, but it, people that haven't worked for a while, their work ethic goes to hell. And so, in past times when I've asked him to work, he'll sometimes they'll show up. I know, pay him a couple bucks to sit out front and you know be, get you guys to sign in. And other times, you know, he's, he's like, I like to party, and so he'll go to you know his, his buddies are in third grade, so he'll go to his birthday parties with these guys. <laughs> yeah, y'all laughing now. And so there's a security guard that I hire. He's about nine years old, and so he'll be out the front of the class, I think on the next one, getting you to sign in, getting you to work. But it's interesting to watch. His work ethic is not what I would expect. I mean, his nine is pretty good, actually. I actually do this to get a rise out of him. Some of you are like, oh, you're an asshole. <laughs> just to keep it interesting. All right, so just understand that there will be a security guard next time. He is a sharp dresser, and there was a reason why I was building that in, and I totally lost my train of thought as I was doing this. Yeah, it was the art of the chart. What was that, though? Oh, that's horrible. I had a great lead in. I just totally lost it. Oh, man, that's, an that's annoying. Is that what I said? Cool. He takes incredible notes. He sent me whatever. He actually almost wrote down word for word. It's funny to watch him type. He gets it all. It's pretty cool to see. So with the chart, there's a charting component in just about everything that I do. Oh, I know where I was going with this. There is an art in the chart. So as a nine-year-old kid, when he was about four, at school, they'd say, draw the sky, you know, draw uh, some artistic, you know, whatever it is that's he, that a six-year-old would do. His name's Jack. Say, Jack, draw the sky. Well, what, what a six-year-old does, do you know what they do for sky? 
They take a blue marker and they draw it right across the top. It's about an inch thick. And in a kid's perspective, that's sky. Now that he's nine, sky is a little bit bigger. It's a couple inches. I've seen what some of the seventh and eighth graders do and their whole picture is sky. So the whole thing is blue and then they put stuff around it. All that is is improvement and understanding. So they understand, you know, their art, initially a six-year-old, the definition of sky is a blue stripe across the top. When you get a little more experience in art, your whole sky or your whole page is sky and then you put stuff in it. Make sense? Real simple way to look at it. When you're looking at charting, you're going to see all kinds of things in the chart. When you start off, you're going to be as clueless as a six-year-old is in drawing sky and just have a blue line across the top. That's your definition of art. As you get deeper into this, if, is anyone in here an artist? Like, artist. Like, you do graphic art, right? Disney? Anyone else? Can't see the arm. I can't even see the face. There he is. Oh, that's true. I forgot. So I get a few people that are graphic artist types. If I were to say draw the sky, right? If you do it by hand or a computer? Both. But you do it by hand. How do you know when you're done? You say, but I mean, how, you know, so you, you'll draw, if I said draw sky on the wall, I brought you over the house and had you paint a mural in the bedroom or something. I said draw the sky. How would you know when you're done? If, you know, if you're my, my kid, you put a blue stripe, you're done. But if you've got more experience, you make the whole thing blue and then you'll put some clouds, you'll put a couple of seagulls, right? But how do you know when you're done? You just know. You just know. How do you know when a trade is there? You just know because you've done it so much. There's an art in the chart, and the more you do it, the more you see. That was the linkage between my security guard and this. I knew where I was. I'd get there somewhere. Save that one. It's a hell of a stretch, wasn't it? Oof. Thank you, God. All right. So with the art in the chart, what you'll find on this, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of market participants. Right? They're buying and selling stock all day long. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute. I've never bought and sold a share of stock in my life. Am I a market participant? The answer is yes, you are. Are you in your 401k plan at work? Then you are a market participant. You contributed the dollars, although you didn't decide when the actual, what would be bought nor when it would be bought. But by you participating, by you contributing every month or every couple of weeks to your 401k, you actually are a market participant. When you decided to shift money from one mutual fund to another, you are a stock market participant because you were sending a signal to that fund manager that they have to liquidate some portion of their assets to be able to give you the cash so you can move it to a different fund. You are participating in the stock market, whether or not you've bought a share of stock or not. So there are thousands and thousands of people every single day participating in the market. They're making buying and selling decisions. Why are they making these decisions? Why are they choosing to buy or sell? Yeah, exactly. Who cares? It could be a coin flip. You have no idea. They've got dreams of wealth, right? Fear of loss. They're covering themselves for taxes. Could be divorce issues. They've got kids' college. Could be they're studying a specific stock. There's fundamental analysis. We talked about the four. It could just be pure, raw emotion. Kramer said, I got to jump. The guy sitting next to me at work said he liked to buy Apple. I want to buy some too because I don't want to be left behind. Right? No rhyme or reason. Trying to figure out why somebody else is buying or selling, it says up there it's a guess, it's a waste of time. It doesn't matter why they're buying or selling, they're doing it. It doesn't matter what they're doing. They are doing it, you make your own decision. 
So if you chart the daily activity of all the market participants, the buyers, the sellers, the mutual funds, the individuals, it doesn't matter. It puts all of their buying and selling into perspective and you capture it in a picture. Then what we're going to do is learn to interpret that picture. It's going to take a hell of a lot of time. It's going to take years. And it takes years not because just learning how to read the picture. It takes years because you got to learn how to read yourself. Because there's a huge amount of bias that comes into this when you do this. It's subject to interpretation. And so personal bias gets mixed in. So if you had a good day the last couple of days, you've got a very positive bias. If you've had a bad couple of weeks, you might have a negative bias that goes into that equation when you're trying to study this. You've got to be aware of that. So let me give you a couple of examples of art in the next few charts, things that you will run into so you understand them. So if I use the terms, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, first one, this is page 162. This is a chart of BlackBerry, 2006. These guys are the cell phone maker. I don't remember if I've updated their ticker or not up there. It doesn't matter. Notice the red circle on or about January 3rd. Okay? Price was coming down. See how that had hit the, what is that, the 200? So it was coming down from, from the 200, banged up against it, went sideways. It supported at the middle band, right? Middle band's potentially acting as a support area. On the next candle or two, sale price rose, and then the indicators all crossed going up. Y'all see that? Looking on or about January 3rd. Now, follow along. Price peaked on about January 12th. See where I'm at? Way outside on the upper band. And then it started to head down. By the way, notice that one, two, three, four candles where price was outside the Bollinger Bands. Is it a surprise to you it came back inside? Nope, because price can't breathe outside the bands. So it came back down on about January 12th. Indicators crossed again. Red cross green. Now it's pointing down. And again, just follow the red lines. Look what price did. Went down, down, down. On about January 20th, price came down and seemed to find support right around the 50 moving average, right? Which is the orange line. From there, price rose a little bit to the middle band where it hit a resistance, a ceiling. Now notice something. When price hit that middle band, look at MACD. It never crossed going back up and the move continued down from there. So now I'm looking at about January, what is that, 20th or so? You see that? MACD never crossed back north. Price hit the middle band in that second circle on the right, but then it rolled south from there. MACD never said we're going higher. So from where price hit the middle band, we got a doji. What does a doji say again? Indecision, no change. So price was rising, we, we hit a potential ceiling, and the price action said no change. Bulls and bears are in a tie, if you will. Then we had an engulfing candle, and then price went lower from there. Okay, if you're new, I'm going to fire hose you with stuff to see on the charts. You're not going to grab all of it. Doesn't, I don't care. Grab what you can. You'll hear this again the second time and you'll pick up more. It's all of those and, 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 and pieces that you're looking for. Remember what I said early on at the beginning today? I said, write down everything I say. When you go back later and study this, you'll start to see it. Okay? So if you look at the art pieces, I put some notes down on the bottom. January 3rd, the middle Bollinger Band supported price. On the 20th, the middle band resisted price, so floor and a ceiling. And notice where it resisted. Pay attention to first MACD. Notice the doji candles, then I was followed by an engulfing candle. Okay, it's all of the and, and, and pieces on there. Make sense? It's all of those pieces together that tell the story. Next page is 163. So we started off before it was 
Support becomes resistance. Now I've got resistance becomes support. Okay, this is Lennar. Lennar is a home builder from late 2004. And you might say, bud, come on, man. It's 2014. That was 10 years ago. Why do you have to go back 10 years to find this? Well, the reason why, Brainiac, is because what time of year is this? What time of, what is the cycle on this? Lennar 2004. Lennar's a housing stock. What was housing doing in 2004? You, all you had to do was be able to fog a mirror in 2004 to make money in housing. It did not take a brain. It took a checkbook, right? If you bought anything, you made money, okay? This is one of the leading stocks in the hottest sector in the market. This is not a secret. It was right there. Everybody and their brother knew about housing. Y'all were looking at real estate. You could have been looking at the stock and not have to deal with brokers and tenants and all that other stuff. Okay, I picked this chart to show leading stocks in leading sectors usually means they're incredibly volatile. Leading stock, leading sector at a time in history where everybody and their brother was a real estate expert. The stock market was giving opportunities. These setups show up all the time, not every single day, but they are there regularly. Now, notice the red circle on about November 1st. Price rose prior from the low before. It rose there, and notice it was banging up against the 50 moving average, the orange line. Then it rolled back down. Notice where it held, right? It held down there right near that middle band, and then it pushed up through the 50. Then it paused again. See where I'm at? Now I'm in the second circle. And it drifted down. It sat on support, that same orange line. What had been resistance now is support. It had been a ceiling. Now it becomes a floor. So back in November 1st, the, 50, the orange line, the 50 MA, was a ceiling. Price couldn't break through. It finally broke through a couple weeks later. And then as it pulled back, notice where price held. It held at what it had previously been a ceiling. Now it's a floor. Okay? Sat there for a couple weeks, then it rose from there. Remember what I said before, if you're new, I'm going to fire hose you with stuff to see on the charts. You're not going to grab all of it. Write it down, grab what you can. Go back later and study it. You'll start to see it. So that's an example of resistance becoming support. Yeah. So his question is, where's the entry? Would you wait for MACD to cross? Proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan. So what I could do, I could either use this chart potentially for an entry. But remember, I like to see it go band to band. This is not band to band. But this, but if I, this is on a daily chart, I can see that off the daily, it's holding at the 50MA right around, you know, early December there. What do you think it looks like on a 55? Probably down, I'm guessing, down at a lower band on a 55. And so now I'm showing support, if you will, my trend, if you will, I'm going to use that word, but my bigger time frame says we're potentially at a floor. If I drop down to 55, I might see a bullish setup, and now I've shown that on a bigger chart, I'm on a floor, I might have support that we could rise from there. MACD negative up until, but you see it when it popped up there, but again, it's a floor. Now, is that the most ideal setup? Maybe not. But the point is to start to, remember what I said before, you look at these and you can start to see the story off the stocks. Doesn't mean you trade the story. You can start to see the movie as to see how it's going to play out. 
And maybe you look and say, I can tell that's going to rise. I know it's going to rise. I'm not going to trade it. Say, why not? Because I don't have a good entry. And that's where the discipline starts to step in to say, I'm only going to trade those that fit exactly this. Even though I, can, I would bet that it's going to go that way, I'm not going to put my money on it. And that takes nerves, if you will, and incredible discipline. And sometimes you'll think, God, how stupid could I be? I know it's going to rise. I refuse to trade it. But it just says I'm only waiting for those criteria. I said this before. If you didn't put it in your notes, put it in here now. All of your trades look alike. All of your trades will look alike. You ought to be able to go back a year from now and look back at all of your trades. Every single one of them should look alike. I said that in class two. All of your bullish entries look similar. All your bearish entries look similar. This does not look like a bullish entry that I showed you before. It's not hitting the bands. But dropping down a time frame, you might see it, okay? Sophia, do you have your hand up? Yeah, you did. That means I don't want to ask now. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So our point is on the, on the earlier chart, we had the middle band being the support becomes resistance. And on this, we use the 50 becoming the resistance becomes support. It could have been anything. It could have been the 200, could have been a 50, 21. It doesn't matter. No, no. So it really what it says is it doesn't say when the 50 is resistance, it then becomes support. It says what was resistance becomes support. And the what in this case is the 50 or the 21 or the 200 or whatever we use. Your question is, why did I choose one with the 50 and one for the middle Bollinger? I'm showing, so I'm showing to demonstrate, here's an example, but it's not always the middle Bollinger band, it's not always the 50, it's not always the 200, it's whatever the chart gives you, and then you react accordingly. It could be the middle band, it could be the 50, it could be the 200, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, so the art of the chart comes in and learning to recognize all the pieces on there. So the, you know, what I've shown you so far up until 10 minutes ago was just the indicators, right, with the Bollinger bands. Now I'm showing you how price, how the candles can move around within that. Right, so we're, do, we're peeling, I'm trying to peel back the onion layer at a time and to show you all the different things that, remember I said earlier, the, after you do this for a while, stuff just jumps out at you and it's difficult to explain to people that I have a hell, I mean, I love the fact that all of you are in here. I get a hundred people I can talk to because when I leave here, I ain't get anybody I can talk to because they all look at me like I'm a nut job. They have no clue what I'm talking about. So I'm just building, a, I got no friends. <laughs> I'm just building a base of friends. Yes, sir. <laughs> on November 24th, MACD is, on October 24th, MACD is negative, okay? But then eventually it crossed up on about the 27th or whatever that is, right? So when everything crossed about the same time, didn't it? Ask your question again, maybe I'm not hearing right. What I heard you say was, tell me if I heard it, I, I don't think I heard it right. What I heard you say was on, on or about October 24th, MACD was negative, And then it finally crossed to be positive. So, yes? So what I, uh, don't worry so much about whether it's not bullish or not positive or not whatever. What I'm looking for is a 3x, right, from that standpoint. But I'm not, on this one, I'm not calling that an entry. This is not a, pointing out entries. What I'm pointing out here is to say resistance can become support. That's all it is. Yeah, don't read into the, oh, well, would you have gotten in back on October 24th? I don't know. It's more so to say when you're in a trade or if you're looking at something, you say, I wonder where the next candles will go. This is almost making prediction stuff. From what I said, you can start to see the movie. You can tell what the stock price will do and even be able to tell you what it's going to do. You know, you'll learn burger bets with your bar or, you know, beer bets with your buddies, but you won't put your own money on there. Okay. On the trade. Okay. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying is in that section around November 29th through about December 6th, that two week period or whatever the date, November 22nd through December 6th ish, where the candles are going sideways and just kind of, they keep hitting the 50 MA and lifting up a little bit. So I've got a red, white, red, white, red, white kind of thing. And your question is, are they showing me 
Yeah, he's saying that's against volatile because it's not volatile because it's ranging about, it looks like it's about a dollar range there for about two weeks. Yeah, so, what he, so the way to read this is price has used the 50 as a ceiling before, right back in early November. It broke through the ceiling. So you know, we're in the hotel. Basically, I kept banging my head against the first floor ceiling here. I finally busted through. I made it up to floor number two, and now I bounce back down. The, what had been the ceiling to me down here is now the floor when I'm up on the second floor of the hotel. Yep. And so what had been a ceiling before, right, about six feet above my head, is now a floor when I'm up on the second story. And so all that's saying is it looks like that is holding as support. So whatever, for whatever reason, and remember, I don't care what the other participants, why they're doing it, but for whatever reason, they seem to be buying it. They're holding it at the 50. Somebody want, they're looking at saying, this is probably going to hold to so people buying it at the 50 MA. That's the, only, that's the only thing I can interpret. That's all I want to interpret. This is not a trade. Not a trade. So his question is, is this an entry? Nope. Nope. But this is a daily chart. Maybe I have an entry on a 55, something, a smaller, on a smaller time frame. That's all it is. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. So our question is, I see it bouncing between the 50 and the 200 in that two-week period. How do I know which way it's going to go? My answer is more so, remember what I, my objective in doing all this is to make a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan. I want all my trades to look alike. Does this, in that, that right-hand circle area up here, does that look like all the other entries I've shown you for a bullish entry? Nothing. So if you saw that on your charts, what would you do next? Nothing. So you might drop down to a smaller time frame because you say, hey, this looks like it might be supporting, showing some kind of a floor on the orange line. So I would drop down maybe to a 55. And if I didn't see a screamingly obvious looks like all, because all my trades look alike, if I see nothing there, next. And so I'm on... Lennar, so my next stock would be the next stock in my home builders, right? So I'd probably look at Toll or, you know, Pulte or whatever else I had in my list at the time. Don't, if you, remember what I said, if you stare at something long enough, it looks better and better and better the more you stare at it, doesn't it? But it, it's, not, it's not anything close to what our entries look like. But if you stare at it long enough, you can talk yourself into it. So don't stare at it. So this is beer goggles. You stare at this thing long, it gets gorgeous. Okay, no problem. Yeah, why did it gap up? I have no idea. Yeah, so I wouldn't worry about it. Sarah, it's more one of those, you look at this, if it seems obvious, then look deeper. If you can't tell, just move on. Just move on, okay?